Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com on today's Tour Catch-Up. Great Britain reached the Davis Cup quarterfinals. Zverev and Muguruza capture their end-of-season Tour Finals. And timed toilet breaks are all set for 2022. Kim, we are back. I am back. The passing shot is back. We had a little bit of an extended break. I was on my sick bed uh, all of last week, unable to record, but we are back and ready to go. Looking back on well, what's going on so far in the Davis Cup with the group stages happening, quarterfinals happening at the moment, as well as talking about the Alexander Zverev and Garbina Muguruza wins in Turin and Guadalajara as well as looking at all of the latest news stories, including the the news, the exciting news, the news everyone wanted to hear, I guess. Well, apart from Stefanos, it's past that time toilet breaks will be uh, a feature on the ATP Tour from next season. Absolutely, Joel. Uh, welcome back. I hope you're feeling a lot better. It was weird not not having you, <laughs> you know, not recording with you last week. I know. It was, I was so sad. I was so sad that we couldn't record. I, I know I sent you a little WhatsApp voice note being like, uh, uh, we cannot record and uh yeah it was it was just not gonna happen was it no but um you know thanks everyone for wishing uh wishing joel back for a speedy recovery and we're pleased to say that you are a lot better so that's that's the main <laughs> thing um and we have got a lot of tennis to catch up on from the last fortnight um you know as we sort of before we head into the the off season and you know christmas will be on us before we know it so this is kind of the last big bumper edition i mm. would say um we've got the davis cup going on at the moment so we will be back again to to finish off the davis cup but um we're kind of at the quarterfinal stage joel i think we should probably begin with all the news coming out of the Davis Cup. And I mean, before we get on to the actual tennis itself, um, there's been an announcement that the Davis Cup finals will potentially be moving to uh, Abu Dhabi um, mm. for the next five years. And this is a, a big deal that's come about by Cosmos, you know, the parent group that kind of owns the Davis Cup now, uh, headed up by Gerard Piquet. And they've apparently brokered a deal which would, uh, yeah, move it to the Middle East. What, what do you make of that? I think there's quite a lot of controversy around this. Yeah, I don't think Leighton Hewitt's particularly happy about it. He described it as it would be selling the soul of the Davis Cup if they moved to Abu Dhabi. It hasn't happened just yet. I think it needs the ITF to give the uh, seal of approval, which is expected, I think, to go through next year. But I don't feel like the reception so far from people in the tennis community, from fans as well, has been kind of positive to this reaction. But our understanding is that it's for a deal that's going to last the next five years. And I mean, this is going to be, uh, I mean, can you imagine, Kim? It's, I just feel like there's going to be no crowds there. There's going to be no atmosphere. Which players are going to want to kind of go to the Middle East after a long season, you know, potentially playing in Europe at the, you know, the end of season finals to go from one continent to another? It just feels like a big, big stretch. And with the, the Middle East as well in Abu Dhabi, just, it just doesn't feel like a place where it has a lot of tennis heritage either. It just feels, it just feels very, very much like, and, and, probably to be expected given what's kind of happened previously it's gone it's gone where the money's gone yeah it does feel like a very corporate and clinical decision uh purely money focused however i would say that a lot of players do actually go to the middle east at this time of the year for their pre-season a lot of them do train out there yep. and obviously we have the exhibition in abu dhabi like right after christmas we have usually the doha event at the start of the year so it, i don't think it's completely an alien concept that players wouldn't want to go to the Middle East I think it's just you know they would normally go yeah I guess after the holidays whether you're celebrating Christmas or not um so whether they'd want to go and stay for like a good month or so 
um, and make it part of a, a big pre-season and off-season. I don't know. Um, but I think, yeah, for me, it's it it feels like, you know, the World Cup being there next year in December, uh, this sort of very much, you know, corporate kind of quite cynical um, decision. And I don't know how it's actually going to work on the ground with fans and atmosphere, you know. And I think Leighton Hewitt, he's, he's, he doesn't really like the Davis Cup in its current format, you know, where it's... Uh, in the sort of, you know, that kind of finals Round at the end Robin, of the year. Yeah. yeah, he wants home and away ties where you've got, you know, the home crowds and like all the sort of, you know, raucous atmosphere. Um, So, which we've kind of, you know, there was a bit of debate when it kind of switched to the current format. But I think, you know, we went to the Davis Cup two years ago. We enjoyed it. There were, you know, there was a good atmosphere there. I think, yeah, going to the Middle East where I just don't think you're going to get as many people traveling out there. No. Um, I mean, obviously with COVID, who knows what's going to happen with travel. But it's, yeah, it is quite a cynical move. I think it's quite a corporate-led decision. I'm not a fan of it overall. Do you agree with Hewitt in the sense that it would be selling the soul of Davis Cup? Because I, I actually think we've they've already gotten past the point of selling their soul. I think they sold their soul when... Uh, you know, the ITF gave it over to to Mr. Gerard Piquet and, and Cosmoffs, uh, you know, a few years ago. So I, I think, you know, for me, this potentially, and I think this is the, the dangerous situation the Davis Cup faces, is that this could be, you know, the final nail in the coffin of the Davis Cup, you know, a competition that has so much history, so much prestige. I think, you know, it's in its 121st year. Uh, I don't really feel like no one, anyone knows what to do with it. It still feels for me a little bit tacked on after the, uh, you know, the end of season tour finals. I actually, I actually forgot it was taking place, but it, it still doesn't feel like it's got its, its natural home and taking it into, to Abu Dhabi for me again, it, doesn't again it just does not feel like it's natural home and uh you know it was, it was interesting to hear about you know from about it from Novak Djokovic because he feels like the future of it is this setup we have at the moment with you know sharing the sharing the passion of it and, and sharing it across multiple cities now I think maybe this year for me that was maybe a bit of a an own goal in the sense you know there's still COVID and pandemic and you know things are Taking, taking a turn for the worst potentially in in some countries in Europe, but I do like this idea of spreading it across different nations and just to have it housed in one place uh, and going back to you know I guess what it was previously when you know it was just in Barcelona when uh, you know we were there. Oh, sorry, in Madrid. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It feels to me a bit of a, a backward step in that respect, going from this sort of multi-city format to potentially a, a single a singular location. Yeah, I don't mind it being in one place because I thought it was quite fun that we could, you know, mm. go and see lots of different nations competing in the same, you know, over the course of a few days. Um, I do think, yeah, even that move, it's kind of gone away from the, the heart and the soul of, of the Davis Cup and its history. Um, but this final move, I mean, it's not to say it's not going to go back to how it actually used to be. You know, Gerald Piquet might suddenly get tired of, of trying to, you know, get involved in tennis. He might think, well... Uh, he might sell it off for a load of money and then whoever comes in might be more of a a true tennis fan let's just say that much and uh, take it back to its origins perhaps so we'll have to see what the mm. final decision is but I think the board the ITF board are deciding next week um, yeah. I think it's probably likely that it would go through yeah I've, from from what we've been reading I get the impression that that, that Cosmos has has not done well financially over the last few seasons. And as a result, that's why they've been motivated to make this decision. Because I think Abu Dhabi or, or the organisers there have come in with a really, really good offer. And this is going to help them, I guess, secure the future and obviously secure the future as well for the Davis Cup. But it does feel like it's a bit of a, it still feels like it will be a bit of an outlier. And and playing it out there, it will, it will be fascinating to see you know what the reaction is by players by fans because again that is what makes davis cup space so special there is nothing like it it's such a unique atmosphere and environment that's why it's such a distinctive competition and it's separated you know it's separate from you know like grand slams for example but you know taking it out to abu dhabi potentially that might strip itself of those qualities that make it distinctive because you know, the idea of lots of fans traveling into one place, um, if possible, doesn't feel, feels like a big stretch compared to somewhere like in, uh, you know, in Europe and also players as well. You know, as I said, after a long season, how many of them are going to be 
super keen on on doing that i don't i don't know i mean it, it could be a test and learn situation but you know for the next five years that's a that's a pretty sizable investment I mean, I've always wanted to go to Abu Dhabi, Joel. So perhaps this will, you know, let me tick off another destination. We'll (laughs) we'll see. We could have a passing shot trip to the Middle East if it does go there. Um, I mean, let's talk about the Davis Cup for this year, 2021, because we are at the quarterfinal stage. Um, We've got yeah, quite well, quite a good lineup, I would say. Great Britain are still in it. Uh, we've got Germany in the quarterfinals. We've got the Russian Tennis Federation against Sweden. And then on the other side, we've got Italy against Croatia and Serbia against Kazakhstan. Um, I mean, Britain have come through. We've, we've beaten France and the Czech Republic. So um, fantastic. Although Dan Evans did have a bit of a and a bit of a dodgy <laughs> loss, uh, as you've worded it. Again. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've come through which is the main thing I, I fancy our chances against the Germans as well I have to say so uh who knows perhaps we could uh yeah uh, not go all the way but <laughs> yeah no I think we've done you know it's been job job done so far hasn't it I think there was a very good start with that win against France we went 2-0 up in the singles um you know if Cam Norrie leading the line Dan Evans as well the France, the French squad's not as strong as probably you would like to hope, particularly in the singles. I think Rindeneck was their highest ranked Frenchman. Uh, you know, Manorino, Gasquet. Yes, they had a very decent doubles pairing in Herbert and Mahou, but they didn't even play. Um, well, they didn't even need to play actually uh, against GB. They had, um, Mahou play, I think, with Rindeneck and they came through. But yeah, that was a very good start. And then, yeah, we continued from there beat the Czech Republic it did go to that uh deciding doubles which was very very important it was literally like GB are going to go home or they're going to go to the quarterfinals resting on that that doubles match but it was very impressive from Skupski and Salisbury to you know handle that occasion handle that situation and come through you know a you know a very tricky tie against the Czech Republic I don't think they you know not necessarily had many kind of flashy names in their squad but certainly a very tough uh, opponents come through with kind of Yuri Vasili in their um, team so you know I'm, I'm quite impressed with how we've we've come through and you know given I think the players that we have and the seasons that they've had I think they can feel relatively confident I think kind of going into the the quarterfinal against Germany because you know we've got singles players in good form we've got a very good doubles pairing Joe Salisbury's the you know number three player in the world he's just been in the uh, you know the the tour finals final uh in the doubles in in Turin so they all must feel quite confident and that I think bodes well potentially for our chances probably to you know getting to a point where we could potentially probably lose to the the Russian Tennis Federation in the semis yeah Russian Tennis Federation looking I think the favorites at, mm. at the moment they um that, well, unfortunately for the defending champion Spain and Spanish tennis fans, they they knocked Spain out. Um, but um, you know, I mean, but Feliciano Lopez, can we just say beating Andre Rublev? I know, um, amazing. Where did that given, come from? Where did that come from? He could be Rublev's dad, probably. Yeah, <laughs> just in terms of the age difference. Um, but Rublev and Karatsev came through in the doubles. Um, so they've got uh Sweden up next. Um, but. Well, yeah, I think you've got to think Russian Tennis Federation with their calibre of, of players would be favourites to to make the uh, the final. Um, Novak Djokovic is also in action. You know, he's out there. Um, they've got Serbia, have got Kazakhstan in the quarterfinals. Um, I actually didn't think Djokovic would play uh, Davis Cup for some reason. I, I don't know why. Just again, like you say, like you, you were saying, you sort of forgot it was almost happening because it does feel like it's just like an add-on at the end of the year. And I was just assuming that Djokovic just wouldn't turn up. But no, fair play. He is there. He wants to win it for Serbia. And, you know, they have a very good chance as well. Kim, honestly, all these top players playing it, Djokovic, Medvedev, Rublev, I'm just like, take an extra week off. The You know, the off season is just so short uh, to begin with. And then you're adding this on top of... Uh, on top of it, it just shortens it even more. So, you know, I'm, I, there is a bit of part of me that it's like, it's, it's great to see them and great to see them in their teams. And I know that they're all very passionate and kind of motivated to play for, you know, their countries. And I think, you know, for Novak Djokovic, that is a big part of why, you know, he turns out for Serbia. Um, he just really enjoys, uh, playing for his country. Um, and I think at the moment, uh, you know, Serbia sort of lucky to, to be in there. They came through as one of the, 
uh, best second place teams and it feels like it all hangs on on you know what Novak Djokovic wants to do to be honest with with Serbia I mean got quite a tricky tie you know coming up against Kazakhstan who have Alexander Bublik Kukushkin and then also Golubev's quite a handy doubles player so you know that could be quite tricky and um yeah I don't think they can just rely on Novak Djokovic to to come through because although he might be good for a singles point I don't necessarily think him in a double setting is it has quite the same effect so you know it's I don't necessarily think it's going to be you know Novak Djokovic turns up on a tennis court then Serbia get to the final I still think there's going to be a bit of drama on that side which I think is a lot more open I think than the you know the other side which obviously has the Russian Tennis Federation I think is the, the clear favourites. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think Serbia as well, if they got through into the semis, they might have quite a, a tough battle against either the Italians or the, or the Croatians. I mean, Croatia, they've got obviously Mektic and Pavic, the the top doubles pairing in the world, who, you know, to be fair, of late haven't been quite up where they they have been for you know the start of the season. But, you know, Croatia with, with them on their side and, and Chilic doing pretty well as well um, of, of the last, you know, in the last few months could see they're making a final. Definitely. And uh, yeah, they're, they're playing Italy right now. And uh, Borna Gojo uh, for Croatia upset Lorenzo Sonigo in the first tie. And I think uh, whilst we're recording, Cilic was a set and a break up. So it could be an upset um, on home turf in Italy for Croatia. So they could be quite dangerous. And with that Mektic Pavic pairing, you, you do think if they can just nick one singles from the you know the, the two singles ties, then they're always going to be in with a shout and probably be the, the favourites come the that deciding doubles. So yeah, Croatia definitely within with a shout, uh, definitely in with a shout. I mean, Kim, I'm gonna put you on the spot. What, what where do you think you're what do you how do you see the final turning out to be? Who who do you see in the final? Oh, Russia against Croatia. Uh, I think it's going to be an all Balkan semi uh, between Croatia and Serbia. I think Croatia might just edge it just purely on the doubles. Um, although, well, <laughs> I'll say Russia as my overall winners. Yeah, well, Russian Tennis Federation to be strictly correct. Ooh. What about you, Joel? <laughs> I, I'm going to go. I think I'm also going to go for an Russia stroke RTF. A Croatia final but I'm gonna go I think Croatia might do it actually I think um you know I think they've actually got the stronger doubles pairing and I think you know with with Cilic I think they could potentially nick a singles match and um you know make it make it interesting um but yeah certainly I think you know Russia should be getting through to the final from their side they're hands down the the clear favorites um it just depends you know who's playing in in those singles because they could rotate their team depending on how you know they tied their players are I think that was one of the factors in terms of why Rublev lost to uh to um to Feliciano Lopez because of the, the the amount of work he's had to to put through on the court over the last week but um yeah certainly I'm gonna go yeah Russia Russia Croatia but I'm gonna go for the upset with a, a Croatian victory well, we'll see. I mean, Russian Tennis Federation did win the Billie Jean King Cup, so they're yeah, hoping to make true. it two out of two yeah. for team competitions. Um, special mention to Francis TFO, who I think got called up very last minute to the to the US team. Um, he was out having mimosas, apparently, and chilling out in Cabo, and then suddenly uh, was getting the call and I think had a bit of a nightmare journey, but but got got out to play and um yeah bit of a you know dramatic end to his season but it was nice to see him <laughs> making it i love that he said he he was with his girlfriend having mimosas i mean he's just like in his head his season is finished i think he said you know his season was done after stockholm so you know this i think shows you know the passion that i guess people play with you know with davis cup and what it means to represent their country the fact that you know a guy like tiafo it just was like you know, minding his own business, and then literally last minute call. Uh, you know, fair, you know, fair play to him to make it all the way out there. Um, you know, to Europe uh, once he thought the season was done to get into that headspace. I mean, I think that just shows you know what Davis Cup can mean to tennis players. But I just feel at the same time, if you're going to move it to somewhere like Abu Dhabi, I just wonder how how bothered are pe- how how bothered are our players going to be? But uh, yeah, I mean, Kim, if I was, I'm not going to lie, if I was in that situation, uh, well, if I had a girlfriend and was in that situation and I was drinking mimosas and, and just chilling out, I 
I'd just probably pretend I wasn't uh wasn't receiving a phone call. I'd just stay put and just 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 chill out a bit more. Yeah, I think uh I would quite have potentially have done the same thing. I do do quite <laughs> like a mimosa myself. So um but on that note, I mean let's let's uh, move on from the Davis Cup because we do have plenty to get through, Joel. Um lots to catch up on. Uh, this feels like such a long time ago now, and I, I think probably for you spending the last ten days in one room, this probably does feel like a, an absolute century ago. ATP finals in Turin. Um I think we the last time we recorded it was kind of the start of the tournament, more or less. We'd had a few days of play. Uh but that did uh finish and and well, I guess it kind of went fairly, um, not exactly par for the course, but um, not not a massively surprising result in the fact that Alexander Zverev did go on to win the title, his second ATP finals title. Um, it was a final against Daniel Medvedev um, and it was fairly straightforward, really. 6-4, 6-4 in the final to get that title for the second time. Um, I mean... What did you make of Zverev's performance? He he beat Novak Djokovic in three sets in the semi-finals, very reminiscent of you know him beating Djokovic at the Olympics. I, I kind of was thinking it's going to take perhaps a Zverev to to knock Djokovic out and to prevent him from winning the finals for the first time since I think 2015. It, you know, it's been a while that actually um, Novak or one of the top four of it has has actually won this event. And um, yeah, Zverev's got his his second edition of the uh, of that title now. Yeah, it was very impressive from Zverev. He has been, I'd say, one of the best players on the ATB tour. Forget Grand Slams, there's still work to be done there. Potentially that work can be put in next season. But um, in terms of Masters events, in terms of the Olympics, in terms of this end of season finals, he has been you know, one of the most informed players. And I think what was so impressive was that he beat Novak Djokovic, then Daniel Medvedev, back to back in best of three set matches. Very, very impressive stuff. And, you know, particularly that win in the final against Medvedev, because, you know, I've been making up a lot, making a lot about, you know, their rivalry and their non rivalry, really, up until that match. Because I think, you know, Medvedev had won like the last five, Zerev hadn't beaten him in, you know, X number of, uh, you know, months. Um, and it just felt a bit one-sided. So I was a bit happy, actually, that Zverev was able to kind of come through it. I mean, he was serving phenomenally. His first serve was was the bedrock, really, of his his game. Um, and, and and what impressed me was, you know, when when they did get into kind of extended rallies, you know, Zverev, Zverev was coming out on top. He really had an answer to a lot that Daniel Medvedev was kind of throwing back at him. And, you know, with Daniel Medvedev, I just felt that he was a bit too far behind the baseline to really kind of help himself on the, the Zverev serve in terms of breaking. I didn't feel like he was maybe aggressive enough or, you know, he was a bit too passive. So, you know, it was very, very impressive, I think, from Zverev to come through, you know, those two players. And I think it just kind of confirms, you know, what we all know about Zverev in that he is, I think, now ready to go on and, you know, whether that's win a Grand Slam title or become world number one, I certainly think he has now kind of put himself in that group with Djokovic and Medvedev. Whereas I think maybe earlier this season, arguably, we were a bit like Djokovic was the clear number one, Medvedev was the clear number two, and then maybe Zverev was the the clear number three. I feel like with this victory, we're now getting to a point where arguably it's Zverev, Medvedev and Djokovic in that top three for closely followed with a little gap then by Stefanos Tsitsipas. Yeah, but I mean... Zverev has been quite consistent at the ATP tournaments like Masters level, but at Slams, do, I mean, do you do you think he's now he does have what it takes to get over that final hurdle? I know he came so close at the US Open last year, but I mean, do you see him next season winning a Slam finally? I I st- I still think <laughs> he's got a he's you know if if Grand Slams were best of three, uh, I certainly would say yes. Um, but he still I feel needs that marquee victory against you know someone like Djokovic um or even in a Dal for example um in best of five because his best of five set record is still very shaky and I still think he's he's working towards those big victories and you know he will get big confidence from you know this season you know we've seen before for example with you know Andy Murray when he won you know the Olympic gold medal beat Federer in that final um at Wimbledon gave him lots of confidence that you know he he could believe in himself that he could do this 
um, at Grand Slams. And I do think that Zverev is on a similar sort of pathway with regards to that, you know, the fact that he won his Olympic gold medal this year. I think that's going to give him lots of confidence. These Masters title, this end of season finals title as well. It's just all going to add add to that. But he certainly, I think, is going to need to think about how he can, you know, do what he's doing in these kind of best of three set matchups and apply it to the best of five. Because I still think that is the the next question for him is how he can be that consistency and do it at the the grand slams because he's got the he's got the talent he's got the serve certainly as well which I think will be one of the the big factors um but yeah it's it's, it's gonna be I think it's gonna it's, gonna, it's what's one of the reasons it's gonna make next season so interesting because of how Zverev has ended it because I think that if there is one grand slam that he could potentially kind of just carry on the men- momentum from the end of this season it might even be the Australian Open because you know we we don't know if Novak Djokovic is going to be there um it could mean a big opportunity for someone like Zverev to win his you know his first ever Grand Slam title yeah in some ways if, if Djokovic wasn't at the Australian Open which you know we don't know it's not confirmed yet what, what's going to happen it would make it a very very exciting in the sense of you've got all these players who are ready to take that first step and Medvedev would love to I'm sure win a second straight slam and it would it would I think get it yeah to a nice position where you've, you've genuinely is a lot more open perhaps but um I mean Zverev is the first player in, in a, a long time uh to defeat the top two players um you know to win this this title I think there's only been four he's he's only the fourth player in total to have done that so um very impressive week from from the German um I'm sure not not everyone's favourite choice of, of winner, um, as fair to be said, what with all of the ongoing um, hoo-ha surrounding Zverev. But, um, you know, he played um, some amazing tennis towards the end of the week, especially. Um, I mean, just a note on kind of the other the other players that were there. We did see Cam Norrie get a, a look in as well. He came in, played a match against... Uh, well, he played two matches, didn't he? He played, uh, yeah, yeah Djokovic, Djokovic. Got a bit thrashed. I think that kind of didn't help Djokovic for the semi-final, though. I think Djokovic, you know, he had a really easy match yep. against Cam and then was probably a bit undercooked to face yep, Zverev. Agreed. So. Yep, agreed. <laughs> Norrie probably did Zverev a favour there. and um, But he did play, was it Casper Ruud? And, you know, Norrie won the first set and then... Um, Unfortunately, he wasn't quite able to bring his game for the rest of that match against Kasparud. And Kasparud, you know, got to the semi-finals. I think that you did predict that, Joel. So it was, mm. it was a great, great debut for Kasparud, I have to say. Um, and also for Yannick Sinner, he was also given a chance to come in and replace Matteo Berrettini in front of his home crowd. You know, the audience were going wild. I think the, the fans the whole week really made it a very... Um, successful first edition of this event in Turin mm. I think you know Zverev was saying the crowd were amazing and obviously the Italian players loved being at home so um, I think it was a really successful tournament considering you know it's been in London for so many years and for, you know first time in Turin I think I think it all went off very very well very successful. Yeah I I think it certainly was a if it's not broke don't fix it situation uh, with the move to Turin it felt very much like London but with as you said that added impact I think that added oomph from the crowd and again just you know hearing the 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 news potentially about Davis Cup moving to to Abu Dhabi and you know the atmosphere that we are seeing um particularly with the you know the home matches you know like we've seen in uh you know in Italy uh in Spain as as well um you know to lose that it loses such a big part of what makes these tournaments so fun and I think they you know we saw how elevated tennis gets with uh, you know, an added like boisterous crowd, which we saw, you know, at the ATP finals. We saw it at the Paris Masters, which you know I'd never seen like crowds like that. Uh, you know, for for a, yeah, for a long time. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of fantastic to to see, and we'll have to see how it develops in the future. But yeah, certainly a very uh, fun first edition uh, in Turin for the for the men. Uh, moving on to the women, though, we had the. WTA finals in Guadalajara and him again this happened so long long ago that I'm 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 scratching myself in terms of uh what what happened we had Garbina Muguruza defeat Annette Kontovic probably the most informed player going into the tournament 6-3 7-5 
Muguruza defeated her twice uh, in the tournament, uh, second time obviously in the final to capture her third and biggest title of the year. She's now up to, I think, a ranking of number three in the world and she's become the first Spaniard as well to win the WTA singles finals in the event's history. So really, really impressive stuff from Muguruza because, I, you know, we weren't really talking about her, I think, going in and... There is something about her in Mexico. She just, she just loves to. She, for some reason, she just loves. Seems to love playing there. She has a great record in Mexico. Um, she won Monterey 2018, 2019. Mm. So she's got like a 14-2 win-loss record um, in Mexico. So she clearly feels very at home there and very comfortable. And that translates well onto the court. Um, yeah, she's now back up to number three in the world. Um, it's just, I, I was really surprised by this, but this is her 10th singles title. I just assumed she had more than that already because she's been around for a number of years. She's won two slams. And I just assumed she would have, you know, amassed more than that. But and three of those have come this year. So it's actually been a very, very good season for her. Um, I was very pleased that she won. You know, I'm a big fan of Muguruza. And she's the only player of late who's been able to beat Annette Contivate, who has been on the form, you know, in the form of her life. So it obviously took a stellar performance from Muguruza to do that, um, especially at the latter end of each of those sets. She won the last four games of both of those sets, uh, you know, coming from a breakdown in that um, second set to to clinch the victory in, in two sets and prevent it going to a third and deciding set. And Kim, I just want to take partial credit as well, because I didn't predict Muguruza to win. Because uh, I think I said I had Bedosa beating Muguruza in the semi-finals. So I just want to take credit there for not predicting Garbina Muguruza and her doing the complete opposite. Because I swear... Normally, whenever I predict Muguruza, she normally goes out in like the first round in, in collector set or I have her for winning the title and it just never happens. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad to, I'm glad to see that happen. But, um, yeah, it's been, uh, again, it was a fantastic tournament. Guadalajara, great, great venue. I know a lot of people being like, just keep it in Guadalajara. The crowds have been fantastic, particularly for the, the night sessions. It was, I was a bit surprised, a bit taken aback actually by how full the, stadiums were but the atmosphere again was was top quality and uh i think the wta will be doing very well for themselves if they're looking at that part of the world and thinking how do we how do we make the most of um you know this kind of appetite for tennis because it is there and again it just added to the the tournament and made it a really a really fun and thoroughly enjoyable ride throughout the throughout the event and it was also a great week for Barbora Kuchikova and Katerina Sinyakova, who were the top seeds. They won the WTA finals in the doubles, defeating Sue Shea and Elise Mertens in straight sets. So that's their first WTA finals as a pairing. And uh, it feels like a bit of a merry-go-round at the top of the women's doubles ranking because Sinyakova is now the doubles world number one. She's taken that mantle from Sue Shea. Um, but I swear it seems to sort of, you know... A flick between uh like <laughs> them quite a lot and you know back in the day it was Babosh and Mladenovic who were sort of on a yep. bit of a merry-go-round as well so um you know that's a great tournament and really happy that Krachikova you know after her great season has come away with something from the WTA finals as well because you know she's been playing a lot of tennis I know. in Guadalajara so it was nice that she was able to get one title arguably too much tennis from what I saw of her in the uh the Billie Jean King Cup in Prague she just did not look at the race I think she I think she ran out of juice on the the single circuit, but great to see her kind of continue her doubles form because yeah, they they were the out and out favourites, and it's good to see them live up to their billing. I mean, Kim, just before we go to an ad break, let's just quickly talk about talk about the Champions Tour, uh, which is uh, well has been at the Royal Albert Hall in London this week. Um, before we get on to some of the matches, Emma Raducanu. Everyone was talking about this because Emma Raducanu had an exhibition. She played uh, with one of her best friends, uh, her hitting partner, Gabriella Rusa, um, in an exhibition match. She won it 6-3, 7-6. Scoreline doesn't really mean anything. I think this was just a bit of a, a bit of a homecoming, I think, for, uh, for British tennis fans who, you know, obviously clamoring ever since she won uh, the US Open ladies singles title earlier in the season, been clamoring for any time they can get with Emma Raducanu. So it was great for them, I think, to go out and see, um, you know, what she is about. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a fun, friendly, good atmosphere sort of match. We can't read, we can read nothing into it. It was purely an exhibition. I've had kind of my like non tennis friends ask me about this and I've, I've had to sort of be like, look, this is this is very much a, an exhibition 
of exhibitions. There's nothing riding on this, but it was still great, I think, to see her back out and smiling on a tennis court. Yeah, a bit of a homecoming, isn't it, in celebration of her um, win in Flushing Meadows. Bit random, I suppose, to add it on to a men's <laughs> ATP know. Champions Tour. But, you know, when in Rome, and also it is the last year, apparently, that the ATP Champions Tour is coming to the Albert Hall. It's been Sad going times. strong for 24 years. It's a great event. I've been a couple of times. It's, it's always a bit of fun, you know, with the likes of Barami and, and co. So it's a shame that it's it's not going to be there anymore. But I was quite pleased this year that um, we had Nicolas Almagro, David Ferrer, you know, some classic Spanish players uh, in action. We had also Thomas Burditch, you know, players that we, we, you know, grew up with from our generation. They've got to that age now where they are, you know, on the Champions Tour. And um, yeah, some very entertaining tennis, um, as you come to expect from an event like this. Kim, it feels a world away from the, the Champions Tour from, you know, 10 years ago, where I feel like it was more slightly older. You had John, you know, obviously John McEnroe play, but it's very competitive and very, high quality now i think you know watching it on tv i was very impressed with the the level uh i mean just watching david ferrer is just uh, you know he's just such a great technician on tennis court thomas burditch as well it was uh yeah really really great fun bit of a shame that it's it's leaving the royal albert hall it's such a it's such a great venue for you know a, a tennis tournament i'm not sure what the the reason for it is it's got obviously great heritage with you know being there for for 24 years but maybe they feel like time is time is up time needs to move on and maybe it will go to another venue um i hope it stays uh this event stays in london because it is so much fun but yeah uh i just yeah a bit of a sad note i feel like i feel like to end on it's such a a unique venue maybe uh maybe another tennis event could be played there i was just wondering if gerard pk had uh, got the rights to it and was moving <laughs> that to the middle east as well but uh time will tell on that one um, let's take a quick ad break now but do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look at all the latest developments regarding Peng Shui and the news that timed toilet breaks are set to be introduced on the ATP tour as well as all of the WTA player award nominees for 2021 so do not go anywhere <laughs> This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to the second half of our show. Uh, Joel, I do believe you've been working on a path of the courts for me. You've had about two weeks to think it up. <laughs> and lots of time to hone the question. Uh, what's it going to be this week? Oh, big, big pressure. Yeah, no, genuinely. Yeah, that was one of that was one of my top like kind of to-do list things when I was in bed was to find a really devilish par for the courts for you and for our listeners and i hopefully have found one for you so uh are you are you ready for your category for par for the courts i am please go go for it i've been looking forward to this for ages (laughs) (laughs) okay so uh i it's a it's a wta uh tour question and it concerns rankings and i would like you to tell me any of the 10 players that finished in the top 10 end of year rankings for 2020 so not 2021 but for 2020 so there are 10 players obviously in the the top 10 uh end of year rankings uh on the wta side i'll give you a bit of a clue because i uh, i think it's quite difficult but only two of those players finished in the top 10 in the end of year rankings in 2021 gosh quite a change then isn't it quite mm. a turnaround okay Big change yeah right. so um oh. so you've got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten you don't have to tell me their rankings but obviously extra extra bonus points if you can and for our listeners i'm gonna set i think it's quite tricky but i'm gonna set the pass score at I'm going to be quite difficult. I'm going to set the pass score at five out of 10, 50%. I think I can beat that. I think, I think that's, um, I think I can get like seven, but I think I can beat five. I'm not sure how many, but I'll I'll go for it. So, okay. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, Right. Number one, Ash Barty was definitely in both. Correct. Yes, she ended uh, both years uh, as number one. So yes, Ash Barty is number one. Um, now there's a few I'm not sure on, but I'm going to think back to last year. Alina Svitolina was definitely in the top ten. 
correct. Yes, she ended 2020 in fifth position. Uh, she ended this year in number 15. But yes, uh, in 2020, she was number five. So yeah, correct. So that's two. Okay, last year, Naomi Osaka would also have been in the top 10. And I think she's still in the top 10 this year. I think she's the other one, isn't she? That's in both. Correct, but she's not in the oh. end of year top 10 this season, but she was number three uh, in 2020 year end rankings. So that's three. So you've got two more to get par for the courts. Um. Oh, <laughs> okay. Okay. I think last year, Simona Halep would have been in the top 10. I hope. Simona Halep? Yeah. Correct. Yes. Uh, she was number two just behind Ash Barty. So, uh, yeah, quite a big, obviously, you could, you, you could imagine quite a big uh, difference. But yeah, she was number two year end 2020 uh, this season, number 20 uh, in 2021. So that's four. I'm just thinking this year we've had, you know, the likes of Kritikova and Sakari sort of enter the top 10. They wouldn't have been there last season. Um, Muguruza, I'm not sure if last season she would have been finishing in the top 10. So I'm mm, reluctant to say her. Serena Williams, like, was she in the top 10 last year? I feel like, I feel like she was just in the top 10. Um Oh, this oh, is quite tricky, tricky, actually. It is tricky, <laughs> uh, isn't it? I don't think I'm going to make past school. <laughs> uh, I mean, Azarenka, like, she's been getting up there, but I don't think she was actually in the top 10. Um, right. I'll be here all night. So I'm going to say Serena Williams. I think she was like nine in the world or something like that. <laughs> Serena Williams. Correct. Yes, yes. Serena Williams. You were you were absolutely bang on. She was number ten. She was in there on the, by the skin of her teeth. So yes, you well done. You have reached par for the courts. You give me five correct answers. Oh, I've got two more, Joel. I've got two more. Okay. Suddenly remembered Czech players. So I think Pliskova and Kvitova would both have been there as well. That is correct. Yes, they would have both been right answers. So Pliskova number six. Kvitova number eight. Interestingly, Kim, if you had said Azarenka, incorrect. Uh, Muguruza also incorrect. Um, any any other any other players? You've got one, two, three left. Um. Oh, blimey! <laughs> some, some tricky names. Some names you would be very surprised, I think, to hear potentially. Not. I mean, Sloane Stevens wouldn't have. No, she wasn't in in. She wasn't. She'd already gone away out of the top ten by then, hadn't no, she? No, Sloane Stevens. But an American is in there. Another Madison, American, Madison Keys. No, no. I feel uh, like everyone's Jennifer forgotten Brady. about this person. No, feel like everyone's forgotten about this person. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, what American players are there? Not a not a Nisimova. Rekindled um, her coaching relationship with her dad. Oh, Madison Keys. No, who's not Madison I mean, Keys? <laughs> Sophia Kennedy. Sophia Kennedy. Sorry, yes. I meant to say her, and Madison Keys just came out of my mouth. I mean, see if Sophia Kennedy was number four uh, in dare. the year end uh, top <laughs> ten in twenty twenty. You could have also given me Bianca Andrescu. Oh, of course, who yeah. <laughs> was number seven, and perhaps the most difficult one to get on the list at number nine. And listeners, I'll be very impressed. If you said this answer, Kiki Burton's oh, uh, was number nine, who course. now sadly is retired. Um, so yeah, so that's your that's your ten. So Barty, Halep, Osaka, Kenin, Svitolina, Pushkova, Andrescu, Kvitova, Burton's, and Serena Williams. No, that was a great one because it did really get me thinking. So I hope the <laughs> listeners enjoyed that one as well. <laughs> Quite a few red herrings there, weren't there, with uh, like Muguruza and Azarenka, both both nowhere to be seen. Yeah, it just goes to show that I've, you know, I mean, I guess this is probably pandemic, but the start of 2020 when Sophia Kennan won that AO, like that seems like a lifetime ago. But um, <laughs> right, <laughs> we've got a mailbag question, uh, which is lovely as usual. Um, so this week, Alexandra got in touch with us on email. Um, Hello, Joel and Kim. My question for you is, if the WTA pull out from hosting any Chinese tournaments in the future, 
due to the Peng Shui case. Um, where would you like to see new tournaments being held instead? So, Joel, we're getting global. Think of a map of the world or a globe. Where would you like to see all those, you know, should the Chinese events have to be pulled? Um, where would you like the WTA to be going instead? Mm, I mean, I, I obviously I would like them all to be on my doorstep uh, in Southwest London, but um, but <laughs> realistically, I think uh, you know I'd love to see more Latin American tournaments. I thought you know I, I've really was impressed by uh, what the show and the fans and the atmosphere uh, that we saw in, in Guadalajara. And if if Guadalajara can't host, uh, you know, the WTA end of season finals ne- next season um assuming because of, of contracts etc um i would love to um i would love to have more tournaments out there and really kind of capture that that appetite that that we have seen um that has really kind of had a it's a, had its own moment i feel like at the the, the end of, of this season and i want to see i want to see more of that because i feel like on the wta tour we do get quite a few tournaments where there is just very little crowd there is very little atmosphere and um, I feel like if we put some more tournaments in Latin America, I feel like it would it will create a, quite a fun ride. And I think that the players would quite like it as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Guadalajara has been a really successful event there. Um, and I always quite like the Acapulco event in Mexico mm. that they have. Um, I think that's a, is that, that is is that a dual event. I think yeah, so yeah. much mixed events are so fun, aren't they? Yes, they are like the best. Um, I personally have always wanted a WTA tournament in Monte Carlo at the country oh, club. Yes. But yep. um I know most of the Chinese events for the WTA are like in the Asian spring in the autumn, so that probably wouldn't work in terms of maybe well, I suppose October and Monte Carlo would be fine. I mean they have the mm, masters yep. there in April, so um I've always wanted to to have that. Um and I do like, you know, the Singapore event they used to have in uh, on the WTA calendar. But also perhaps they should go somewhere like Bali. I'm just thinking of destinations that would be great for like oh. combining a holiday. You just want to <laughs> combine a holiday, don't you? On the, yeah. on the passing shot account, don't you? You want to make it a, a holiday stroke tennis rest and relaxation, but watch the tennis at the same time. Just combining all my loves in one in one place, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, I'm Latin America would be fab. Monte Carlo, um, also. Uh, but yes, uh, that was a great question. And just talking of that that news regarding, um, you know, the the future of tournaments in China. I guess it all does depend on what happens with the Peng Shui story. And there's been. Well, there's still a lot of concern over her whereabouts. Um, there has been a, a sort of a video um, that's come out uh, of her that the I think the International Olympic Committee um, have sort of obtained, um, and they've kind of come out to say, "Oh, look, it's fine. You know, she's okay. She's smiling. We saw her at a tennis event on this day. Blah blah blah." But um, there's not the WTA really any, not buying it, are they? Yeah, there's not really any independent verification that these clips are actually from when they say they're from. You know, she's not holding up a newspaper with today's date. Um, so we're not, you know, they didn't make the video publicly available, didn't explain like how it kind of came to be. So the WTA are not convinced and they are still, you know, sticking to their guns and, and rightly so um, regarding her whereabouts. And they still obviously want um, it confirmed that she actually is safe and free from from, you know coercion it's still a story that is you know i think on a lot it's on everyone's lips still at the moment because we still don't really have that reassurance i feel that we were clamoring for you know with you know the where is peng shui sort of hashtag players coming out um you know we all wanted that reassurance that that peng shui is is okay and you know she is happy and she's fine and feels like you know what we've seen since of are things that have almost for me kind of like muddied the waters and you know the IOC kind of coming in and doing this like really fancy like Microsoft Zoom uh kind of situation uh between I think their president Thomas Back and um Peng Shui herself it again it for me just adds more kind of confusion as, over like actual kind of clarity um and again, I think it's it's great to see the WTA really kind of put the foot in it and be like, you know, we're not we're not buying this. You know, we're not we don't think this is right. It looks very staged and it, it 
doesn't doesn't look or doesn't feel right and i i agree and i actually commend the, again the wta for just kind of coming out and saying saying it like it is saying what i think the particularly the fans kind of feel like at the moment and again there's a lot of kind of questions i think you know why why are the ioc kind of getting involved how has that kind of come about you know what's that relationship going on there you know obviously with the winter olympics coming up um in china it just feels very very murky um at the moment and the only way that we're going to get a right answer is if the wta themselves who you know are responsible for the you know their tennis players and they can you know make contact with her um and that that for some reason has just not happened yet and until that happens kim it just doesn't feel like we're going to have that that reassurance that you know everyone so desperately wants exactly and we really need that and um therefore you know it does it does seem like they, these tournaments may be may be pulled but it's it is very awkward because they do have the winter olympics due to take place in china and you know i'm sure the chinese government would would not want any anything to be compromises there's a lot of you know people saying you know some athletes not travel to the winter olympics you know in kind of protest over this and therefore that's where the ioc are coming in is it because they they're trying to you know make sure the olympics aren't affected they're trying to make you know kind of pull that diplomatic line um i mean i just really hope that above all she is completely fine but we really need to see like independent definite proof of that um and all credit to the wta for taking this so seriously because you know, we've seen obviously the ATP behaving and reacting very, very slowly with regards to the allegations of, you know, the, around Zverev and, and all of that. And I think the WTA have shown that this is how you should really react and respond to something like this. Um, and above all, we just hope that she is, you know, that she is fine and and okay, and that we can kind of get confirmation of that as soon as possible. Yeah, it really feels like the WTA and Steve Simon particularly, they're trying to use obviously tennis for good here and make this situation better because at the moment, it, we're, yeah, we're not, we're none the wiser really. And with the, the IOC, I feel like they've, you know, they've just kind of trying to come in as this sort of knight in shining armor and kind of save the situation, but they've done it in a way that just doesn't feel authentic whatsoever. So you're very, very kind of skeptical kind of looking at it from the, from the outside and the only way I think we're going to have that authenticity is if you know particularly I think for for tennis fans is to look at someone like the the WTA and making sure that if if they are you know independent which they are and can establish this kind of connection with with Shui Peng then that is going to bring that that reassurance in but it feels like we're still quite a long way from that which is again is with the worrying situation and I just hope that you know voices don't fall silent i mean, you know, i saw on on twitter uh you know i think yesterday even liam brody just kind of being like hey guys this is still a thing you know this is still something we need to talk about because nothing has really kind of happened since so just hope this doesn't go kind of hush hush um and that we really do yeah get to the bottom of it absolutely no we um we, we will sit and wait and hope for good news on that on that one and um i mean in, let's just kind of cover some of the other news so slightly less serious news um and well some people may feel that this is very serious but it really <laughs> isn't in the context of what we've just been discussing um and that is that toilet breaks are set to change in 2022 on the atp tour um so there obviously has been a bit of hoo-ha especially surrounding stefano sitspas and other players who perhaps abuse the current system um so the ATP have announced that from now on, there's only going to be one toilet break allowed uh, per match. And that has to be taken at the end of a set. And that toilet break, once a player has entered the toilet, will only be three minutes long. Um, if a player needs to also change their clothing, they will get an extra two minutes uh, to do that. But they have to, you know, state that in advance um, for it to be authorised. Um, and if a player, you know, exceeds this time, then they will have a, a violation they will have a I guess a I don't know well that, that would be a point penalty I assume um that now that there's official time time set rules on this um medical timeouts are also I think going to be changed as well so it's just one three minute timeout per match and that has to be at changeover or the end of a set and if a player you know is so bad that they can't get to the next change bends, then they'll have to just forfeit the remaining points, basically forfeit that game um, to get to that that change of ends. 
I mean, what's your take on on these rules? Is it is it a bit too too much, too harsh? Do you think it's fair? Um, is three minutes too too short to 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 go to the loo for a bloke? I I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think I think I think it's I think it's fine. I'm I'm. It's it's funny how this this is a situation that has kind of come up and now as it looks to have been kind of uh, rectified you know this is something that will be on uh, applied for ATP events so we're not necessarily seeing this at grand slams um we might you know we might do if if the you know the grand slam organizers take it into their you know their own hands and hopefully they will because I think we all want to see that kind of consistency across the the whole tour because uh, you know that would mean there's kind of less confusion particularly I think for players um but yeah certainly I think that sounds it sounds about right um you know three minutes yes two minutes to change clothes so potentially you know you could take five minutes um off court which I think is you know that is the absolute maximum um I still feel like toilet breaks are still going to be used tactically uh i.e people are going to enter the toilet and they're not actually going to the toilet they're going to be still sort of strategizing and, and thinking about you know what they can do um but i still think that i think this is a good thing in terms of that it's going to take away those situations that we saw like players like for example stefanos sissipas um you know you know on, on the tour at the very least um you know not having these situations that i think do you know looking back made the ATP tour at times feel a little bit farcical so hopefully it removes that sort of comedy value I think that non-tennis outsiders maybe get from from this and we can just sort of yeah get back to kind of focusing on the tennis. Absolutely yeah I think um, I think it sounds fair enough I, I feel like perhaps only having one per match you know, it does seem a bit harsh, especially if someone's a player's got maybe, you know, slight issues going on or the match is going on a long, long time. So perhaps there will be exceptions made because, I mean, you can't, if someone's got to go, they've got to go, right? Um, but uh, we will see how it goes in reality. And that is just for the ATP Tour, not Slam. So um, we'll have to see um, how the players, you know, find it working out for them on the tour um <laughs> one player who won't be uh having to deal with loo breaks uh until perhaps the summer is roger federer though because he's out until possibly wimbledon next year um he's he's definitely out for the australian open he's hoping to be back for the summer next year for wimbledon although he has said that he would be incredibly surprised if he were to play again at wimbledon even next year um, so this is obviously bad news for, for Fed fans. You know, he's had yet more knee surgery this year. And I, I guess, you know, the comeback is 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 very difficult, you know, perhaps due to his age or just because of the nature of the of the beast itself. So we don't know what kind of season Federer is in store for next year, if he's if how much of him will going we're going to be able to see. Um it's it's a real shame. I have a sneaking suspicion. Labour Cup 2022 is in London. I think he's going. I think he's going out then. Um, yeah, this this for me is about him going out on his terms more than you know, obviously more than him coming back and winning a Grand Slam and, and putting him himself ahead in the race against uh, you know Djokovic, Nadal. Well, I think we, I think everyone, even the most ardent Fed fans, are past that. But certainly, I think everyone wants to see him come back and go out on his terms. Um, now what that looks like is I'm, I'm not quite sure, but for me, I feel like that ends, um, at the Labour Cup, something that you know, he started and, and created, um, and, you know, is part of his legacy. So I feel like that is a natural moment to come, to go out, especially if, you know, he can't get back out on the, the court, at, at, you know, at centre court, uh, at Wimbledon. Um, I think the other thing we've got to recognise also is the fact that, you know, his ranking is going to drop considerably, um, you know, the more, the more time he spends off the court. So, you know, he's going to need probably wild cards, I guess, to, to get back onto the, you know, the tour, you know, he'll obviously be able to, I guess, play with a protected ranking. So I think there are all these kind of factors at play once he is able to, you know, get back out on a tennis court and feel like he is return, feel like he is going to return. Um, I still think, you know, we will see that, but time is, I think, very going to be very, very limited going forward. And to finish up today, Joel, we've had the WTA Awards uh, nominations announced uh, for the end of season awards. So we've got certain categories, um, player of the year, newcomer of the year, most improved player of the year, 
comeback player of the year and doubles team of the year. So these will be announced, I think, in December, um, which is exciting. They've got a, a ceremony at St. Petersburg in Florida. Um, I mean, what do you make of of the uh, the nominations, the nominees, I should say? Who who are you picking for each of those categories? If we were doing passing shots <laughs> editions of these awards, who would you yes. be picking? I think there are some that are quite obvious for me. Player of the year, Ash Barty, um, and doubles team of the year, Krachikova and Sinyakova. Uh, newcomer, most improved in comeback. I feel like a most interesting because on newcomer of the year, they do have Emma Raducanu on there. And I know we, we had a bit of an argument before recording about whether she should have been on there because I'm, I, you know, I think there are players who had had you know, shown consistently more across the season um, than Emma Raducanu, who obviously has probably hit the highest of highs, particularly in this kind of group um, of, of nominations. But I'm certainly looking more, I think, at someone like a Clara Torson, who I think consistently and more evenly across the season has, I think for me, kind of proved herself as I would put as, as newcomer of the year. Most improved, um, I... I feel like you've got to go somewhere like Paola Bedosa or Onjabor or Contivate because of the, her run at the end of the season. Um, and then Comeback Player of the Year is an interesting one because you've got Suarez Navarro, Vejnina and Konyuk. I would probably go on results-wise, probably go Konyuk. But I mean, the Carlos Suarez Navarro story in general kind of coming back from cancer has is, you know, is very, very, has been very, very impressive um, in itself. So there's, I think there's certainly different ways you can look at it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know what you mean about Raducanu. Like she had obviously that amazing tournament at the US Open, but I think consistency across the year, someone like a Clara Tolson um, or even a Serrano. Uh, Anne Lee, I love a bit of Anne Lee. I think like consistently across the tour, I think they would be more deserving but I do feel that Raducanu will probably win it because uh, you know the most <laughs> because amazing, of the amazing win in the, yeah. uh, the champion pool <laughs> exhibition yeah yeah <laughs> um I think player of the year I think Barty you know it's hard to look beyond her because although of late she's you know she hasn't really done much um you know her win at Wimbledon and you know she she has the most titles this year so I think absolutely fair dues um most improved yeah I think really I mean a not a net contivate of late but otherwise I would probably also say yeah Bedosa or Krachikov and there's there's quite a lot in that category I think that's quite mm. a tough one yeah um yep. doubles team of the year I think that I think I would go with with the Czechs as well Krachikov and Sinyakov I think they've They've been um, a star, a stellar team. You're not going to so... go with Sam Stoza, Kim? Oh well, I know, I know you. You would love you, you love your Sam Stoza, don't you? Um, oh I mean, my! You, you should be proud. She's made it onto that shortlist. Um... Oh my gosh! Yes. Oh my god! Yes. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what how we'll see how our uh, guesses do. Not long, I guess, to find out until uh, yeah the the winners of those awards. But we're going to wrap it up here for our uh, latest catch up with the passing shot. Um, a couple of announcements from Passing Shot HQ. We have uh, we're always obviously looking um, for feedback, and we're interested to hear from listeners about the show uh, this season. Uh, looking forward to twenty twenty two. So um, we've put a link in the description to our Passing Shot twenty twenty one survey it's a couple of questions it will take a couple of minutes it's all anonymous so if you just have a moment and you want to help out the show it'd be really great to just hear your feedback on what you thought about the show uh, over the last 12 months um, and just a reminder as well we will be launching our second crowdfunder campaign very soon we have been uh, talking about all the cool rewards that we're going to be offering um, and setting up the, the page for it. We're going to be announcing it and making sure it goes live um, as soon as the, the season finishes. So perhaps over the next week or two. So watch out for that one as well. But at the moment, listeners, if you want to help the show, um, make sure to yeah help us by um, filling out our Passing Shot 2021 survey. The link is in the description. Absolutely. It would be a big help just to um, get everyone's feedback so we can continue uh, improving the show into next season and beyond. Yes. And listeners, I hope you have enjoyed listening to this latest catch up with The Passing Shot. Remember to subscribe to us 
on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you want to show your support for the show, then why not leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts? And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Tell all your friends about us. Um, they can keep in contact with us on social media. Also via email, PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Passing Shot HQ for our final catch up of the season. Oh, my God. Um, We are going to be looking back on the Davis Cup, all the action from the latter stages at the Davis Cup. Who will be the new Davis Cup champions? We will soon find out. But I hope you can join us for our next and final catch up. And we will see you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.